Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, doctors are warning that we could be in for a rough winter for seasonal bugs like colds, flu, and RSV, with young children being among the most vulnerable. The other segment of the population particularly susceptible to seasonal respiratory illnesses are seniors, and the cumulative effect of the pandemic may play a role. We'll take a closer look. Also this morning, our area will be well represented in the high school football playoffs. We'll get a complete preview of this week's games and in the spirit of Halloween, another collection of howling good recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, October 28th, 2022. you need a reason to celebrate today, it is International Animation Day. It is also National Chocolate Day. Plush Animal Lovers Day. Give your teddy bear a hug. Today it is Separation of Church and State Day. The Feast of St. Jude's today. Statue of Liberty Dedication Day. It was on this day in 1886 that the Statue of Liberty was dedicated In New York Harbor by President Grover Cleveland. So, Statue of Liberty Dedication Day. And it is Wild Foods Day. So, reasons to celebrate today if you need a reason to celebrate today. I don't know about this. I saw this on the Newswire. I'm going to put this out here and see what you think. Um, I'm not sure that I buy it, but according to data from Grubhub... Halloween, they say, is a bigger ordering night for food delivery than football's championship game. And that's the way they worded it, football's championship game. So I'm assuming they're talking about the Super Bowl. How is that possible that Halloween is a bigger night for food delivery than the Super Bowl? I don't know. I'm not sure that I buy it, but that's what they say. Orders of, uh, uh, it says Halloween is a big pizza night. Orders of pizza deliveries increased 37.5% compared to the national average on Halloween. Uh, other popular dinner orders, aside from pizza, burrito burrito bowls and burgers, mozzarella sticks, top the list for late night orders, chicken fingers and quesadillas, also hot items for late-night spooky snackers, it says here. I guess there is that, because Halloween, we are out late, uh, maybe into the wee hours of the morning over Halloween weekend to celebrate, and so we get the late-night munchies. I guess I could see that, but still, I know, bigger than the Super Bowl? That's what Grubhub says. Speaking of Halloween, kind of interesting... Uh, If you carve jack-o'-lanterns, if you carve pumpkins for Halloween, how do you usually do that? Uh, Normally, you cut out the top of the pumpkin so you can extract the innards and then carve out your jack-o'-lantern, right? Well, one grandma on TikTok has a better idea. Carve the hole in the pumpkin from the bottom Instead of the top, um, the uh, the woman on TikTok with the handle at brunch with Babs says carving out the bottom 
of the pumpkin instead of the top makes it easier to fit the rest of the pumpkin on top of a candle or a flashlight or whatever you have uh, lighting your jack-o'-lantern. You just have the, the smaller piece, you put the candle there, and then you put the rest of the pumpkin over it uh, rather than putting the candle in and, and trying to light it from the top, which certainly makes sense. She also points out that if the hole is in the bottom, you can carry the pumpkin by the stem, making it easier to move. If you carve out the bottom instead of the top, you also won't keep burning yourself when you reach in to remove the candle. Just lift the pumpkin up. 24.6 million views of this video on TikTok. I can't believe we have been doing it wrong all along since the beginning of time. That is actually a pretty genius Halloween hack there. You're welcome. Uh, let's see here. So what else will you be doing uh, over Halloween uh, weekend? Uh, maybe going trick-or-treating with the kids, maybe going to a costume party. A lot of people will maybe binge-watch your favorite scary movies this Halloween weekend. CableTV.com says California is the favorite setting for scary movies. Of all states in the Union, more horror movies are set in California than any other state. <laughs> You can insert your own joke there. The study looked at Rotten Tomatoes' list of the 200 top horror movies of all time. 17 were set in the Golden State of California. More than twice as many as any other state. Uh, some of those that were on the list include Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream, both set in California. So there you go. <laughs> California, the most popular place for scary movies. And, yeah, we could go on and on about that. Let me... <laughs> um, not everybody enjoys Halloween, though. This is kind of interesting. A woman in London wants to cancel Halloween, or at least prohibit Halloween decorations. She wants to outlaw Halloween decorations, and this is why. Uh, she says she thought... A public toilet was out of commission because it had a creepy keep out sign on the door. And because of this, she wants to pull the plug on uh, holiday, spooky holiday decor. The woman complained online about her horrid experience, writing, if you think, or, or she says, uh, I think Halloween decorations should be banned. I ended up leaving this establishment because I got so confused as to if these toilets were out of service how are people expected to be able to know what's open and closed when big keep-out signs are hanging on everything? <laughs> now, I would argue that, yeah, posting a keep-out sign on a public restroom is probably not the smartest thing to do. But uh, if that's the worst thing that happens to a person, the idea of canceling Halloween because one woman is confused about whether a toilet was open or not, I don't know. Make of that what you will. Uh, let's see here. And how about uh, this item? So that is the story that we are outraged. That's the daily outrage. We're outraged over Halloween, inappropriate Halloween decorations, confusing us about whether public restrooms are open. Um, so this is a, a crazy story here with uh, Halloween weekend upon us. Don't be surprised if you see zombies afoot. 
In the event that actual zombies come knocking at your door, the website lawnlove.com has ranked 200 American cities as your best chance of survival during a zombie apocalypse. So these are the 200 cities in which you are most likely to survive a zombie apocalypse. And this is using the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Zombie Preparedness Guide. Do you remember back in 2011, the CDC actually put out, it was kind of a Halloween joke, uh, the Zombie Preparedness Guide. So using that as a springboard, uh, this company ranked each city, 200 American cities, ranked each city on 26 metrics, including access to gun and emergency supply shops, available hospitals, etc., etc., etc. And the city they came up with as the most likely, or you are most likely to survive, the best chance of survival, or zombie apocalypse, Orlando, Florida. Orlando, you are most likely to survive. While the city did have a larger vulnerable population than others, thanks to the high number of retirees living in Florida, it ranked very high for the number of potential hideouts, mobility, and access to the kind of stuff you would need if the dead uh, begin walking. Uh, Salt Lake City, Utah ranked second, followed by Honolulu, Hawaii. And that was kind of interesting, Honolulu, Hawaii, because it would be hard to escape. I mean, it's an island, so you'd only have so many, but maybe because it's so isolated out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, maybe they figured Hawaii, uh, you would be safe from an invasion of uh, zombies. But uh, I don't know. I mean, if the zombies, if the zombie apocalypse started there, it'd be hard to escape. But uh, Honolulu, Hawaii was third. Um, Portland, Oregon came in fourth place, even though it had a highly vulnerable population, it was deemed highly mobile and offered ready supplies and, uh, fifth on the list of the most survivable place, places you're most likely to survive a zombie ap- apocalypse, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Now, uh, because I know you're curious in contrast, the places you don't want to be in the event of a zombie apocalypse Uh, New York City, you would be wise to avoid the Big Apple, ranked 180 out of 200, nowhere to hide, and strict firearms regulations. Another reason. Uh, Let's see here. Newark, New Jersey, fared even worse at 192. Uh, Let's see here. Nevada, in, in terms of a state overall, Uh, Cities Spring Valley, Enterprise, and Paradise, Nevada were at the bottom of the list. Uh, Las Vegas actually was number 19 overall, so Las Vegas would be okay. But other cities in Nevada, you want to avoid. Uh, Spring Valley, Enterprise, and Paradise, Nevada at the uh, bottom of the list. Sunrise, Nevada actually ranked dead last. Uh, No pun intended. (laughs) Or undead last, I guess, as... uh so there you go. Uh, very important information for you to know as we get your Friday morning started headed into the Halloween weekend. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. 
Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly sunny skies can be expected today, a high around 60. It'll be mostly clear tonight, a low in the mid-30s. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office says it assisted the North Baltimore Police Department in a vehicle pursuit on Interstate 75. The pursuit ended near County Road 8 and County Road 26 near Hauktown when the individual barricaded himself in a nearby garage attic. The Sheriff's Office said negotiations with the individual were unsuccessful and a pepperball powder irritant was deployed. The subject was taken into custody and turned over to the North Baltimore Police Department. Finley City Schools recently recognized several students who are achieving a perfect score on state tests. The students had their names read and received a certificate during the most recent Board of Education meeting. We are proud to celebrate 25 Finley Trojans who demonstrated academic excellence on Ohio State tests last spring. This is an amazing feat that should be celebrated. Congratulations to all of our scholars. We have a list of the students recognized and pictures from the ceremony on the website. Now that Hancock County K-9 Charlie has retired from the sheriff's office, what's next for him? His next step is just being a home dog. So we got, I have three kids at home that he'll be playing with and keeping them busy. So uh, he'll be allowed to you know, jump on the couch now and stuff like that and give maybe a little people food that we didn't love before. So. Deputy Brunswick says Charlie has been a great partner to have over the last nearly eight years. See video of his retirement celebration that was held at the Hancock County Sheriff's Office on the website. The second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes take on number 13 Penn State on the road this weekend. It won't be a night game like it was here in 2018. With that said, Ryan Day says it's never easy playing at Happy Valley. No matter when you go into Penn State, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, they do a great job with the atmosphere. Um, you know, there's still a handful of guys that you know that went in, in 2018, but not all of them. You know, we went in 2020; it was different. You know, it was COVID. But we know whether it's a night game, afternoon game, noon game, it, it's going to be a challenge. The Buckeyes and Nittany Lions game is set to kick off at noon on Saturday. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchak for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So heading into that time of year where doctors are warning that we could be in for a rough winter for seasonal bugs like colds and flu and something we don't hear as much about, RSV with young children being among the most vulnerable. So joining us this morning is family physician, Dr. David Yoder with Blanchard Valley Health System. And Dr. Yoder, there was a story making the headlines a few days ago that part of the reason we could see, and in some cases are already seeing, a larger than normal outbreak has to do with our natural defenses being weakened by the isolation of the pandemic. And at the risk of reopening that whole can of worms, do you buy that? Is there something to it? I mean, I, it does seem to add some validity to the argument that the lockdowns and shutting down schools and all of that did have something of a negative impact that we are now having to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thanks for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. I will say um, definitely something that we know we've seen is that the effect of the lockdowns and, you know, the the um the you know doing school at home and things like that mm -hmm. we last year we definitely saw that rsv hit us at a very different time than it typically does hmm. so you know normally we're going to see peak rsv you know in the in the you know late fall definitely in the winter months you know january february and then early into the spring but it really tapers off during the summer but something we saw last year was that rsv really hit us at, at its peak season more in the summer months Hmm. Um, so that's one thing that we definitely know that it, it, it tends, it seems to have affected us a little bit more at a different time. 
Now, as far as our immunities weakening, uh, weakening against certain viruses and things, I don't know if, if that is why we're seeing more of an uptick right now. Um, I, I definitely would agree, though, that kids have been exposed to fewer viruses in the past couple of years than they otherwise would have. Um, which makes you wonder. Yeah, because the the flip side of that, uh, because I also want to put that argument in perspective, it does not mean that we should not be proactive in preventing the transmission of any communicable disease. Sure, and RSV is no different than a lot of the other viruses that you know we see and um, we have in our communities. It's it's transmitted by surfaces that have the viral particles on them. You know, uh, large droplets of you know or whatever's flying through the air, right. especially with kids, young kids, when they're around each other. Um, so, yeah, definitely uh, trying to take precautions. I think um, trying to make sure we're washing our hands regularly, especially if we're interacting with young infants. Um, the ones that are most at risk for RSV are those that are under six months of age or those little kids that have some pre-existing conditions that might make them more susceptible to a respiratory virus. Um, so those are the ones I think we really need to be careful around. So again, to kind of put in perspective the news that we have been hearing from uh, sort of the national news outlets, is it really a nasty cold and flu season or is it just so much more prevalent compared to what we saw the past couple of years when colds and flu and such were much lower due to all of the precautions we were uh, we were taking. So is this a return to normal and it just seems like a huge spike or is this uh, a, a historically nasty cold and flu season? Sure. So we are, at least right now, the way that RSV is looking specifically, it mm-hmm. does look like the numbers uh, are going to outpace the amount of RSV cases that we had uh, in last year's spike uh, during that summer, like I was talking about. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder, you're right. I think a lot of uh, kids are, are going to be more um, involved in daycares, preschools, uh, things like that, that are going to increase their risk for infection. Um, maybe some parents that were hesitant to put their kids in, then, um, you know, maybe they feel a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, safe to do so at this time. So I do think that we are probably going to see a little bit of an uptick in at least RSV cases this year. Um, I, I also wonder about flu. Um, you know, I, I know the, the first winter when we had COVID uh, and COVID was kind of raging in this country, I, I do know that we had a very uh, low number of flu cases, historically low. Right. Um, and the thought was, you know, we're, we're, we're being exposed to a, a new virus, and that's the one that's kind of taking hold. And, and you know, flu that's been around for a long time, uh, we just weren't seeing it as much. So I definitely think that there is going to be an uptick in flu this winter as well. Um, but it's, it's hard to say exactly how much. Uh, right now, the numbers are still relatively low as far as flu goes, but RSV is um, definitely in season uh, at this okay. time. Well, and that was going to be the uh, next uh, question is how does uh, it compare what we're seeing locally to what we're hearing about nationally? And so, again, as we mentioned, we've heard of colds and flu. RSV specifically is something that we, it's not necessarily new. It's been around for a long time, obviously, but something we don't usually hear about as much. So mm-hmm. what exactly is RSV? What do we need to know about it? I think one of the reasons we don't hear about it quite as much as cold and, and uh, I mean, the flu and, um, you know, maybe COVID is, is because it doesn't tend to affect, uh, you know, adults as much as it does um, for, you know, kids under the age of two and most specifically kids under the age of six months. 
um, they're the ones that tend to get more uh, of the severe symptoms. So it's a virus that, uh, like I said, it can be um, transmitted just through uh, the like touching things that have the viral particles on them mm-hmm. um, and introducing those to your mouth or eyes. And it, it travels and it tends to attack the small airways in your lungs. Um, these airways are called bronchioles. And uh, that is ten, tends to be where this virus enjoys uh, attacking and, and likes to live. And when it's there, it creates a lot of swelling in those small airways. Now, for little kids, those airways are a lot smaller than those air, the airways are for you or I. Um, and, and so that swelling actually has a greater impact on the way that they feel and the way that their symptoms present. Well, so little kids with these small airways that get swelling, they'll develop a lot of shortness of breath, um, and, and it really tends to affect them yeah. more severely. And I've also heard, and it certainly makes sense, that uh, young infants uh, obviously have uh, their lungs are less developed and they can't expectorate uh, that uh, stuff uh, in their mm-hmm. lungs as easily as adults can. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And so, um, you know, that's, that's something that we just need to be mindful of is, is during RSV season, these are the kids that are a little bit more vulnerable and, and just watching out, making sure that, uh, you know, we're taking those precautions to keep them safe, I think is a great idea. Yeah. So bottom line it for us here, what are you telling your patients about these seasonal bugs for this winter? What are the best practices? What should we be doing and conversely not doing? I think it's always a, a courteous idea. You know, if you are feeling sick, especially if you're having fevers, um, or if you're having uncontrolled cough, some of these symptoms, I think it's always a good idea just to um, to try to limit your social interaction. I know it's, you know, I'm a social person. I enjoy being around family and friends, and um, it's not something that you want to miss out on uh, during the winter months. But also, you know, if you're if you're feeling poorly, I think it's a good idea to stay home um, until you're feeling a little bit better. Another thing would be um, just trying to make sure that, you know, RSV, there's not necessarily an immunization that we can uh, get for it, but I think it's a good idea, um, you know, to get your seasonal vaccines, whether it's flu um, or, or getting that COVID booster if you haven't gotten it yet. I, I would recommend it, and I think it's it helps uh, reduce some of the transmission of those viruses. Um, for RSV as well, you know, there are um, some select patients, especially ones that have been born extremely prematurely or people that have severe underlying lung conditions, um, that it is a good idea to get, um, there's an antibody towards RSV called pavalizumab. And um, that is a good idea for those select patients as well. And also very important to point out that uh, whether we're talking about cold, flu, RSV, really any particularly respiratory illness um, in in very young children, in infants especially, nothing to mess around with. Uh, It's uh, definitely uh, important to get a hold of your doctor and and make sure that you get this uh, addressed. I would agree with that. And, you know, about 20% of kids under the age of one will get RSV. So that's a, that's a good chunk, about one-fifth. Yeah. Um, but only 2 to 3% of, of those kids will end up hospitalized with severe illness. But, you know, things to look out for would be if your child is getting extremely short of breath, you know, taking a lot more breaths than usual um, or seems very labored when taking those breaths, really sucking in under the ribs and um, appears distressed. That would be definitely a reason to call your physician um, or to take your kid to the ER. Um, And just making sure you're making your uh, doctor or nurse practitioner that cares for your kid aware of those symptoms, I think, is always a great idea. 
Again, some uh, great advice we get into that time of the year. Family physician, Dr. David Yoder with us uh, from Blanchard Valley Health System. Dr. Yoder, thanks very much for the info. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Take care. And we have more information about RSV specifically uh, on our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net and uh, check that out. Now, of course, the other segment of the population that is particularly susceptible to respiratory illnesses are seniors. And joining us now is uh, Katrin Werner-Perez, Health Programs Manager at the Alliance for Aging Research, to talk about that risk for older Americans. So, uh, Katrin, again, we've we've heard that issues this year can be traced back at least in part to the effect of the pandemic. And one other reason is because we were a little lax over the past couple of years about getting our regular vaccines and our boosters. And that is going to have something of a cumulative effect, right? It is. So, you know, while vaccines were on our mind throughout the pandemic, we did fall behind on our routine vaccinations. And by doing that, we leave ourselves vulnerable to potentially serious infectious diseases. So between January 2020 and January 2021, for example, there were an estimated 37 million routine vaccinations that were missed between kids and adults. And are, are there any other factors that, that make this year's cold and flu season different from years past? Or are those the, the primary contributors to what we are anticipating in the months ahead this year? Well, I think we're also seeing, you know, on top of cold and flu, we're seeing we're still having COVID and we're starting to see RSV or respiratory syncytial virus, um, which is another respiratory disease. And most people do think about it only infecting younger kids, but it is quite common in adults. It's very dangerous. It can kill about 14,000 adults each year. Wow. Uh, That actually was going to be one of the questions I was going to ask because earlier we were talking about young children being (laughs) the other vulnerable segment of the population. And for them, there is the added concern of RSV, uh, very prominent uh, this year from what we are told. And older adults need to worry about that as well. They do, yes. It can be very dangerous, uh, and there's not yet a vaccine, so that's why it really underscores the importance of staying home if you're sick, testing to make sure you know what you have so you can treat it appropriately. You know, washing your hands, wearing your mask, everything that we've been practicing during COVID is exactly what we should continue to do um, through this cold and flu season, especially in terms of RSV. Now, uh, for RSV, as you mentioned, no vaccine, but there are vaccines uh, for the flu, as we are aware. Uh, Why is it so important to continue to get those vaccines uh, as we get older? Well, so there's a couple of reasons. Um, Our immune systems naturally decline as we age. So that does put us at a higher risk for um, things like shingles and pneumonia, but also complications from flu and COVID. Um, There's other vaccines, also vaccines that we got when we were younger and they wore off that you might need a booster for, like your tetanus vaccine, your tetanus shot. Uh, And then finally, there are vaccines that you know, we update every year to best defend against the constantly changing variant. So our flu vaccine, you know, 
our immunity kind of wanes throughout the year. And so we need to get that yearly so we're constantly protected against the flu. And And I think we're going to see COVID-19 potentially as well. Yeah, I was going to mention that uh, just to clarify, because uh, folks may remember uh, last year there was some talk about uh, COVID booster being an annual thing along with your flu shot. And there was some uh, talk about uh, perhaps combining the two into a single shot and that is not the case we don't have that now these we're still talking about two separate things correct that's correct but it is perfectly safe to get both at the same time at the and same that's time. what i did you know you get one in each arm and just knock it all out at once <laughs> there there you go uh and as you mentioned those are the most prominent that we think about with the flu and of course covid uh, but you mentioned some other vaccinations that older adults may need how do we know um, how can we find out what we uh, are in need of and uh, make sure that we are uh, completely up to date? Yeah, it can be difficult to navigate. You know, there are a lot out there that we may need. So the best thing to do is you can go to our website at agingresearch.org slash our best shot. Uh, we have a vaccine schedule there, brochures and more information on getting back on track with vaccines. Um, you can also check out the CDC website at vaccine.gov. And finally, I recommend talking to your healthcare professional, your your doctor, um, about what you may need, what maybe has worn off, um, and and what you can get. Especially if perhaps you got a little lax on that during the pandemic, as we were mentioning earlier. And just to reiterate something that you were talking about before, I want to make sure that we emphasize this as well. While vaccines uh, are the first line of defense, uh, especially for seasonal flu, COVID, and so on, uh, other precautions are essential to stay healthy, particularly Uh, As you said, RSV, we don't have a vaccine, and there's always the possibility that we can pick something up even if we are vaccinated. Exactly, and and you hit the nail on the head that you can, you may still get sick if you're vaccinated, but, you know, the risk of complications is significantly lower. The risk of getting these severe symptoms is lowered. So that is why it's our best defense to really making sure that we're safe and we keep our loved ones safe. But again, all of those other precautions still very, very important. Staying home if you're sick, testing to make sure you know what you have, you know, washing your hands, wearing your mask, everything that we've been practicing during COVID is, yes, very important. Uh, Again, uh, Katrin Warner-Perez is Health Programs Manager of the Alliance for Aging Research, uh, talking about the uh, risk of uh, cold and flu season for older Americans in particular. Katrin, thanks very much for taking the time. Mention once again the uh, website where folks can get more information on what they may be in need of so we can get back on track with this. Sure, you can find all of our resources at agingresearch.org slash ourbestshot. I'm John Marshall with this high school football preview. The regular season is behind us and nearly a dozen area teams remain on the field. In Division 7, Region 26, Pandora Gilboa is the ninth seed and will travel to McGuffey tonight to meet eighth-seeded Upper Scioto Valley. PG coach Matt Hershey and his Rockets believe they can take home a win. We do feel that we're a better team. We have to prove it on Friday night at USV. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they, they feel the same exact way as we do. On Friday night, there's going to be a winner and loser, and we're just hoping we're on top. 15 seed Harden Northern travels to the Indiana line to face 10-0 Antwerp, the number two seed in the region. 
Arlington finishes the regular season at 9-1, earning the number 5 pill. They host 4-6 Delphi St. John at Dotcaster Field tonight. Macomb has the home field advantage with the top seed in the region and will host 5-5 Eden. That game will air on 100.5 WKXA with pregame at 635 and kickoff at 7. Don Masters and I will have the call for that one. Finley made the postseason with a 5-5 record, drawing the 13th seed and a visit to the 4th seed Perrysburg. Despite a Week 2 loss to the Yellow Jackets, Trojan coach Stefan Adams and his team are looking forward to this contest. Our guys are confident in their ability to make plays. We're excited. I mean, yeah, we get it. Pick who you want to pick, that's fine. Yeah, but the Trojans are excited to go out there and play and be physical all night long. Tim Montgomery and Cliff Height will bring you all the action tonight on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Pre-game is at 6.30 with kick at 7. Division 6 Region 22 postseason play sees 5-5 five five Riverdale make the short trip to Memorial Stadium in Cary to take on the top-seeded Blue Devils. Falcon coach Sam Petrie has challenged his team to step up their game tonight despite significant injuries. If you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Cary is the man right now, you know, after they made it to the top of the hill last year. Our goal this week is to be the man. Elsewhere in Region 22, Columbus Grove hosts Black River in a 12-5 matchup. Number 11, Seneca East, goes to Bascom to play Hopewell Loudon, and 6-4 and Patrick Henry visits 8-1 Ottawa Hills. In Division 5, Liberty Benton, a number 9 seed with a 7-3 record, travels to 8-2 Archbold. 2-seed Elmwood gets a visit from Delta, and 16-seed Port Clinton takes on the Tigers at Liberty Center. Again tonight on WFIN, it's Tim Montgomery and Cliff Height with the Finley Trojans visiting the Perrysburg Yellow Jackets and its 16-seed Eden at Macomb on 100.5. I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. If you're going to get arrested, you may as well go all out. You know, go big or go home. Have you ever had that, uh, you've been in that situation, if I'm going to mess up, I'm going to mess up big. <laughs> I mean, go all out. A Florida man identified as 52-year-old Tyg Tusilo, I think is how you pronounce it. Tyg Tusilo is a man, uh, decided to go down in a blaze of glory with a shot of whiskey in hand. Uh, Apparently, Mr. Tusilo got behind the wheel of his car after having a few too many, lost control of said vehicle, and crashed it on the U.S. 41 bypass in the Gulf Coast city of Venice, Florida. He decided to flee the scene, but not to evade arrest. Uh, He knew he was toast, but he decided, while waiting for authorities to arrive and haul him off, he hoofed it over to a nearby bar and ordered himself three shots of whiskey. (laughs) You know how most, uh, most of the time people are driving drunk, uh, try to mask uh, the alcohol, you know, try and, you know, do a breath freshener or something to make it seem like they haven't been drinking. Uh, he decided to go all in. Uh, after uh, downing three shots of whiskey in quick succession, he then stumbled back to the scene of the accident to speak with police. 
where he slurred his words so badly that the cops said he mispronounced Pinot Noir. (laughs) He reportedly told officers, quote, and this is from the police report, I'm a controlled alcoholic. I quit drinking vodka. Now I'm drinking wine. (laughs) And whiskey. Uh, He couldn't even identify the car that he was driving. That's how drunk he was. He was uh, arrested for causing roughly $5,000 worth of damage. He was evaluated for injuries, which thankfully were minor. Uh, He was arrested, hauled off to jail, made bail. He will have his day in court in December. I'm guessing it's not going to go well for him. But go big or go home, I guess. Dumb criminal of the day. The Carroll County Sheriff's Office in Indiana has confirmed... Uh, I messed that story up. I'm sorry. I was going to I was going to lead off by saying a kangaroo is on the loose. And then follow that up with in Indiana. So it's not where you would expect a kangaroo to be loose. But the Carroll County Sheriff's Office has confirmed that uh, someone's missing pet kangaroo uh, is loose near the town of Patton. Police and animal control are on the lookout. And residents are advised to be on the lookout as well. The kangaroo was last seen swimming in Lake Freeman. I didn't know that uh, kangaroos uh, were swimmers, but apparently. Uh, Let's see here. The uh, sheriff's office says uh, three guys got him out of the water. But as soon as he got out of the water, he took off before they could get a hold of him. The pet owner also owns a female and a baby kangaroo. I don't know. I, this is really bizarre. I mean, who has a pet kangaroo? Or in this case, a full family of pet kangaroos. Um, I mean, these are scary animals. I don't know if you've ever seen a kangaroo up close, but these are not, you know, cuddly little Winnie the Pooh type animals. These are really scary animals, kangaroos are. Uh, by the way, the uh, owners do have permits for the animals reportedly take good care of them, but still don't want to come face to face with a kangaroo. That's scary animals. Uh, let's see here. (laughs) The department of motor vehicles in the state of Maine has, uh, rethought a recent budget cutting decision. Apparently In 2015, the state, in a money-saving move, decided to eliminate the review process for personalized license plates. The Department of Motor Vehicles just issued a blanket approval for all of the personalized license plate requests that they got. And now they are rethinking that uh, because... Many inappropriate plates have been spotted on vehicles in the state of Maine. Things like F bombs <laughs> and uh, references to adult acts, shall we say, uh, have been featured on Maine license plates. <laughs> uh, so now the DMV will be reviewing those vanity plates and rejecting those it finds to be profane. New rules ban derogatory references to age, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and, of course, the F-bomb. So far, 400 offensive plates 
have been subject to recalls. <laughs> Probably not the best way to try and save money. <laughs> Soon as word gets out that anything goes, that's... It's a free-for-all. You know how uh, the border crisis well-documented in this country? Check this out. In New Mexico, police pulled over a driver about 40 minutes north of the border and found a vehicle packed with 10 immigrants, um, including an unaccompanied, unaccompanied young girl traveling alone. Uh, 10, like a clown car. Just in a passenger vehicle, 10 occupants, including an unaccompanied uh, minor. They found that the driver was a U.S. citizen who had been recruited by a cartel smuggling operation. The driver was 13 years old. 13 years old. So far, uh, I guess they haven't really decided what they're going to charge him with, if anything. But uh, 13 years old. Crazy. Uh, speaking of border states, <laughs> this in Bullhead City, Arizona, a woman is suing the city after she was arrested for feeding homeless people. She was doing something nice for her fellow human beings, feeding homeless people, and she was placed under arrest. 78-year-old Norma Thornton was arrested under a city ordinance that restricts sharing food for charitable purposes. Apparently, there's a, there's a law against sharing food for charitable purposes. Why in the world would you pass a law against sharing food for charitable purposes? That is crazy. She says she's been serving food in the same park uh, for five years, and her lawyers argue the law violates her civil rights under the 14th Amendment. Uh, city manager Toby Cotter told folks, to feed the homeless at their own private residences because to litter and congregate in the park is against city law. Now think about that. The city manager <laughs> is arguing that congregating in a city park is against the law. <laughs> Excuse me, what are parks for? <laughs> what are your parks for if not to congregate? Um... And if they're homeless, they don't have private residences to feed them. So this is all kind of weird. Uh, so uh, Norma is suing the city and uh, trying to end the ordinance. She's not looking for monetary compensation. She wants to uh, end the ordinance. And I think I, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking she's probably got a pretty good case because that just doesn't pass the common sense test on so many levels. There you go. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. 
And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We're talking about the uh, seasonal bugs that are going around, colds, flu season, uh, RSV is uh, particularly nasty this year. One of the positive things to come out of the pandemic was that we seem to finally get it, that you should stay home from work if you're sick, Right. Uh, We finally seem to take that to heart, but it appears that the realities of economic hardship and the effect of guilt are forcing us back into our old ways. Americans placing rising costs above their health. This is according to a survey conducted by one poll on behalf of Theraflu. 2,000 U.S. adults were polled and 67% say inflation concerns make them unlikely to take an unpaid sick day. Uh, 64% say taking a sick day would cause financial strain. 41% say they always or often work while they are sick. And get sick, go to work anyway. Uh, workers are also afraid of criticism from their bosses for taking sick days. We're back to that again. Fears of being laid off are making 62% of employees more reluctant to take a sick day, even if one is available to them. Two in three have avoided calling out sick from work for fear of being reprimanded by their employer. Two out of three. Uh, Age is a factor. Older working Americans between the ages of 58 to retirement age are less likely than their younger counterparts to take time off for work when they're sick. They're less likely. Younger Uh, Younger workers, 18 to 25, more likely to take off work when they're sick. 63% of employees overall, though, feel guilty for taking sick time. 60% feel actively discouraged by their workplace to call out and take care of themselves when they're sick. And by the way, the same poll was done in 2021, and that number was 20% less. So 60% feel actively discouraged by their workplace to call out to take care of themselves when they're sick. That number was 20% lower in 2021. So again, going back to our old ways. And even with many employers offering work-from-home options due to the pandemic, the poll results reveal that a stigma in taking sick days remains even when you could work at home or you're not scheduled to be at the office in the first place. So, of course, Halloween weekend is uh, coming up, and uh, my wife, Kyra, has joined us in the uh, studio. Good morning. Uh, She has come up with a a very unique (laughs) Halloween costume uh, for this weekend. It was last minute, (laughs) and you know how I am. (laughs) (laughs) For those that don't know my wife, she is a Christmas girl. Yes, I am. And so you are, I, I suppose, this actually is the perfect costume for someone who is a Christmas, a, a Christmas crazy Christmas yeah, person. A crazy Christmas person. Crazy Christmas uh, person. You're, you're going as a Christmas elf yes. for Halloween. Yes. So I already have the you slippers, can't, the hat. You can't, really, you can't really get upset with somebody no. for jumping ahead in the holiday season. Correct. You know. Yes. Because it's Halloween. You're mm-hmm. 
dress yep. up. That's I right. Guess, I guess why that not? Sense. I guess that makes it's sense. It's me, and I can do it if I want. You get your uh, <laughs> you get your Christmas fix at Halloween. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> hey, I already have the slippers, the hat. I mean, the leggings. It's it's you know, it's just welcome that's to it. my life. Welcome to my life. But it is Halloween weekend, and we have another collection. I love Christmas. We have another collection of howling good recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. These aren't aren't really uh, Halloween specific. They're easy easy stuff to do that you could have ready. You know, for okay. either after trick yeah. or treat so or when before the, trick or treat. There you go. When the kids come yeah. home from trick or treating, yeah. uh, they're ready. Uh, or if they're not if too quick hyped before, up on on the candy, candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can make them uh, hold off on the candy. Yeah, we have a, a recipe for homemade sloppy joe. Yes, so one pound ground beef, one tablespoon of minced garlic, one six out six ounce can of tomato paste, two tablespoons of mustard, three tablespoons of brown sugar. Two tablespoons of Worcestershire sauce. I know. One tablespoon of vinegar. <laughs> one tablespoon of taco seasoning. Salt and pepper to taste. And your buns and your pickles and your shredded cheese and whatever you want for yeah. toppings. Yeah. So add the ground beef and the minced garlic to a large skillet. Turn the heat to medium. Cook about seven to nine minutes. Uh, you don't want to see any type of pink. Make sure it's mm-hmm. fully done. Yep. Yep. Then next, next pour in your tomato. Uh, puree paste, your mustard and your brown sugar, your uh, Worcestershire sauce and vinegar and your taco seasoning. Mix all that together. Uh, simmer over low heat. If it seems a little thick, you could add like a little bit of water or um, chicken broth. Uh, mm, just okay. if it seems like it's too thick, all whichever right. you want to do. Um, on low heat, then cook on low heat for 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, uh, finish stirring in some salt and pepper if you need for for a little bit of extra taste, and then uh, serve on your buns with your optional toppings. So the the secret to your homemade sloppy Joe is what the taco seasoning is yeah, that the, the taco seasoning? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. that's the yeah. stuff that I always put a little bit of cinnamon in mine too. Oh, okay, Just all right, a little bit. Oh, well, there you but go. But people's uh, that a pinch you know, of cinnamon. Yeah, a pinch of cinnamon. But uh, that grosses ingredient. some people out. So I don't. I didn't. Why would that, that gross people? Out? I don't know because it's just like why? What are you doing? <laughs> well, there you go. That's your here. that's your secret ingredient yeah. right there. So and I yeah I always do that and my boys like it. So. By the way, the uh, cinnamon actually uh, does give it uh, sort of that uh, skyline chili type yeah. taste uh, to mm-hmm. it too because mm-hmm. that's a secret ingredient of the right. skyline chili. Yep. So if you're a fan of the Cincinnati chili, uh, there you go. Uh, to go along with the homemade sloppy Joe, we've got a recipe for crack potatoes. Yes. All right. So two pounds of red potatoes washed and cubed, three tablespoons of butter cubed, a quarter cup of cooked bacon chopped, a quarter cup of ranch dressing, and a half a cup of shredded cheese. So preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Uh, Put prepared potatoes in an 8-by-8-inch glass dish, or if you don't have a glass one, a round one, whatever, just so it's big enough Mm -hmm. to put everything in. Yeah. Put your butter cubes on top of the potatoes, uh, sprinkle with your bacon bits on top, cover with aluminum foil, and uh, bake uh, in your oven for about one hour. So you want to make sure your potatoes are tender. You can use like a fork. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then uh, take potatoes out of the oven, top with your ranch dressing and your cheese, stir it, put it back in the oven for about uh, five minutes or so just to make your cheese melty, nice and yummy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there you go. About five minutes Yeah, uh, back mm-hmm. in the oven. Five so, minutes. Yeah. Good stuff for the uh, homemade sloppy joe, the cracked potatoes, and then for dessert. Uh, this is a recipe for chocolate chip cookies, which yes. seem kind of basic, but this yes. has a twist. These are sour cream yes. st- uh, chocolate chip cookies, and mm-hmm. they are yummy. Yes. So three-fourths cup butter, three-fourths cup sugar, a half a cup of light brown sugar, one egg, two teaspoons of vanilla, a half a cup of sour cream, two cups of flour, one teaspoon of baking soda, half a teaspoon of salt, and two cups of your chocolate chips. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, grease your cookie sheet, uh, cream the sugar and the butter in a bowl with an electric mixer or any type, you know, if you've got a stand mixer or whatever you have, Mm -hmm. on medium uh, speed until just combined. Then scrape down the sides of the bowl, add your egg, um, your sour cream, your vanilla, and blend all that together. Then in a separate bowl, combine your flour, your baking soda, and your salt. Uh, With the mixer on low, then gradually add your dry ingredients. Uh, Fold in your chocolate chips. Um, So take it. Don't use your electric mixer for your chocolate chips. Um, Take it off. Yeah. Then add your chocolate chips. Fold those and then in manually. Fold those in. Yes, yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, use a cookie scoop or a large spoon to drop the uh, cookie dough onto the cookie sheet. Uh, place them about two inches apart. Right. They don't. These don't spread out as much. They're more like a fluffy, poofy. So mm-hmm. you kind of want, if you what? make balls, you want to flatten them down a little bit. Okay. What's um, really interesting about these is you mentioned they're they're more the fluffy type of, of yeah. cookies, but they are still chewy, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. yeah, and that's the uh, sour cream at I, work there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting. You think of uh, smaller fluffy cookies as right. not being chewy, but they are. Uh, yeah, they are yep. chewy. They're really good. Yeah. So bake ten to twelve minutes. Let cool on the cookie sheet for just a few minutes, and then transport them to a rack or a wax paper uh, to completely cool, and then enjoy. And again, you can completely cool these mm-hmm. because they will still be chewy. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, and again, you talk about people thinking. Things are kind of gross. If the idea of sour cream yeah. in your chocolate chip cookies sounds weird yeah. to you, yeah. uh, just don't tell the kids. Just no. don't tell them no. that no. they're sour cream. And as a matter of fact, uh, you made these the other day. Yeah, right. and, last weekend. Yep. Yeah, and and people were like, what is what is this? What is the secret? And you know, nobody could figure it out. Now, once you, once you know it's sour cream, then you yeah. can taste it. Yeah. But- it is, uh, but they're great. They're, they're really, really good. Yeah. So there you go. The uh, recipes for the homemade sloppy joe, the cracked potatoes, and the sour cream uh, chocolate chip cookies. We have those posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. We have that linked up at goodmornings.net, and we will also share it on the WFIN Facebook page. And as always, if you have a recipe that you would like to share, or if you are looking for a particular recipe for something, we're coming up on the holiday season. Yeah. Uh, we'll get Kyra on the case, uh, searching for those recipes. All you have to do is either join the Facebook group, mm-hmm. the Kyra's Kitchen, or follow. It's not really yeah. a group, it's a page. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, like the page. You can post there, mm-hmm. uh, share your recipes, ask for your requests at Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN. You can also email us at goodmornings at WFIN.com. Yes. 
Good stuff. Uh, my wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Put a wrap on the week. Want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday, every community has its spooky and scary legends, and Findlay is no exception. But did you know that our fair city has a more direct connection to America's celebration of Halloween? So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. Catch you back here next week.